Hey there, dog people of the internet. I'm Sarah Stremming, and I have a dog training business called The Cognitive Canine. I'm a dog trainer, a blogger, and an agility competitor. This is the pilot episode of Cog Dog Radio, which is a podcast series exploring my special niche of dog training, which happens to be behavior problems in performance dogs. I decided to put out this podcast because I wrote a blog about a golden retriever named Jade. Jade is a dog I helped over the past several years in person in Colorado. He is very complex and his case is complex. So when I sat down to write a blog about him, I realized very quickly that everything I wanted to say about him could not be encompassed in a single blog. So I toyed a little bit with, you know, writing a series of blogs about him and a friend suggested I try a podcast. I love the idea and that's why we're here now. So Jade is going to be the first dog that we explore in kind of a series of episodes. I'm not going to talk your ear off about him for three straight hours. I'm going to break it down and we're going to talk about all the different levels of Um, his process and how he went from kind of this crazy out of control dog to um, a dog that can run a course and can stay level-headed outside of the ring and just generally be a more comfortable dog in his daily life. Um, It's a very specific niche that I work within and so a question I get a lot is, you know, how did that happen? How did you find yourself within this very tiny slice of the pie in dog training, which is uh, behavior problems for performance dogs. And it really just grew kind of organically from my career and personal experiences. I was working as a pet dog trainer. I was teaching pet dog training classes, um, as well as agility and competitive obedience classes. And I was working with some behavior cases in people's homes. And it was great for a while. And before long, I really realized that I wasn't quite doing what I was supposed to be doing. And that's where, you know, my dogs come in. And they have really shaped my experiences in dog training. And they've shaped the dog trainer that I am. And I think that they've brought me here to this place of primarily working with performance dog handlers and the behavior problems that they're experiencing with their dogs. My first performance dog was a Border Collie named Kelso, and he was pretty severely dog aggressive just right out the gate. I mean, very little opportunity for, you know, me to reinforce good behaviors because as soon as I got him, they're pretty much worn on when it came to other dogs. He was a very young puppy attacking other puppies in puppy class. Um, And I was very young too. I was 15 when I got him. And so, you know, from there, I really followed a lot of very well-intentioned but poorly informed advice um, that I was given and really learned what all not to do with a dog that's experiencing aggression problems. Um... Long story short, Kelso did go on to be a pretty successful 
competitor in both agility and obedience. Um, he never attended a national. He never, you know, earned any fancy achievements or anything like that. But for a dog with those problems, the titles that he did earn were pretty impressive. Um, he wound up going all the way through the highest levels of obedience um, and then also AKC agility before I retired him when he was nine years old. And everything that I do is really, you know, painted with colors of Kelso. He is my constant reminder to always consider the dog first, always honor the dog's experience, and never assume that you know what's going on in their head. Um, Kelso's been gone about a year now, and he was probably the biggest deciding factor in what I did with my life. And had I gotten an easy dog who was not so troubled, I would have probably had more fun and a much nicer experience in dog sports as a teenager, but I certainly wouldn't be where I am. So I'm extremely grateful to him and will always be grateful to him for those lessons. Um, my current competition dog, Iggy, is a seven-year-old Border Collie, and she is really wonderful in a lot of ways and a really fantastic competitor, but she has taught me a lot about how to help my clients who come to me with their dogs that are experiencing, you know, issues of maybe arousal or reactivity or anxiety, um, all these kind of buzzwords that we're going to explore in later podcasts. But she was a dog that you know, early on in her career, I would step to the line with her and we would take off. And she didn't seem like the dog that I trained. She didn't seem like the dog that I thought I expected to be running with. She would, you know, suck into tunnels and knock bars and break her start line and not respond to cues and, you know, cut behind me and just do all these things that I really thought I had trained against. And I really thought I had trained well. Um, and yet she was doing them. And, you know, I remember early on a local agility competitor who was also an instructor mentioned to me that, you know, he didn't think that she had very good foundation training. And, you know, that pretty much pissed me off because I was very proud of her foundation training and I thought I had done a really nice job. And I knew that it wasn't her training per se that was our problem. And so that left me kind of puzzled because I'm a trainer at heart. It's always got to be a training solution. There always has to be a training fix to anything that you're experiencing. And I had to figure out what was really going on with her? What really was going on was a couple of things. One is that she was pretty stressed about being left in a crate anywhere, even though she'd experienced that pretty much every day of her life since I got her as an eight-week-old puppy. Um, she went to work with me. She hung out in a crate um, in the building that I worked in, and she was in my car in a crate all the time, and she was left in a crate at home when I would go out. And you know, I thought she was okay with it. Well, she wasn't. She was less okay with it than she need she needed to be in that environment. Um, it also really mattered what dogs she was crated near. And it mattered if she could see the ring or not. And it mattered if she could hear the ring or not. And all of those things mattered. And when I started to just pick apart her daily experience at a trial and change things and shift things around and figure out what she needed, things started to get better. 
Um, you know, create. I spent a lot of time creating her in the car exclusively, uh, which I was lucky in Colorado. I was able to do, you know, several months out of the year. And then started to just be careful about how I created her indoors when I created her indoors and just take her needs above mine and say, you know, yeah, I have to walk further to go get you if you're created clear back here, but that's fine. You know, I can do that. Um, I also did a couple little things with her that I do with a lot of the dogs that I work with. One of them is called a perimeter sweep, or that's what I call it, which is basically where I get there early enough and I let the dog check out the space. You know, we show up at an agility trial, an obedience trial, and we expect the dog to assume safety. We expect the dog to assume what we assume, which is that everything is fine and nobody's here to hurt you and nothing scary is here uh, or nothing too exciting is here. And we really shouldn't do that. And so with Iggy, I would get there, put her on a leash and a harness and I would just walk the entire perimeter of wherever it was that we were going to compete. I wouldn't let her walk inside the rings, obviously, but I'd let her walk all the way around them if I could. And anytime she checked in with me, I actually gave her a cookie. That's not something I would do with every dog. That's where the art behind this comes in a little bit more than the science. But for Iggy, it was important for me to see, A, will she eat? B, how hard is she taking the treats? Uh, mouth pressure is a barometer of stress. You're going to hear me say that all the time if you listen to this podcast. And so if I handed her a hot dog and she took it extremely softly, then I would say she's just one step above not taking it at all, which is very stressed. If I handed her a hot dog and she near took my hand off, then she's either very stressed or very aroused. And I need to be careful about that as well. You really want just kind of medium mouth pressure anytime you hand the cookie. And that is different for different dogs. My sister, St. Bernard, I never feel her teeth when I give her a cookie. If I felt her teeth ever at all, I would be really worried about how stressed she was. And so for Iggy, it was medium mouth pressure is what I was looking for on those treats. And that's why I gave her a treat every time she checked in as we did our perimeter sweep. And I would continue to sweep the perimeter. I would keep circling the area until one she was taking those treats with that nice medium mouth pressure and two she didn't need to look anymore she was glued to me I had food she was ready to work um at which point I'd put her away walk my course do whatever else I needed to do and I knew that she had seen the environment and it lasted I didn't need to do it again today I can show up at a brand new facility that she's never been to and not do a perimeter sweep. Um, I would have been okay with it if she needed that the rest of her life, but she just doesn't need it anymore. I'll start doing it. She immediately goes into work mode. She knows that we're there to do agility. Um, so the perimeter sweep is just one little thing that I did for Iggy, and those are the kinds of things that we're going to talk about in these podcasts are just small things like that, small changes that competitors can try to help their dogs feel better in whatever environment it is that they're working in. And when I talk about Iggy, know that, you know, she's a dog that when she was two years old, I pretty much gave up any competitive aspirations that I had with her because I didn't think she'd be able to do it. I thought, you know, there's no way this dog can 
fly on an airplane, compete at a national. She can barely handle a one-ring local trial. How can she compete on that level? And I'm really proud to say that now at seven, she's had quite a career. She's gone to multiple nationals, multiple regionals. She's flown on airplanes. Um, I can say with confidence that she can compete in any environment that our dogs are asked to compete in. Uh, she can be outside in the weather. She can be inside um, in the noise. I She's fine. She it is actually her most comfortable space, I would say, in her life is competing besides, you know, just hanging out at home. And so I'm really proud of her and I'm really proud of everything that she and I have been able to accomplish. And more than that, I'm really proud of the fact that I can take those lessons from her and apply them to these dogs that I work with. Um, My business is primarily online. And what's really cool about that is I can now help people all over the place. I've got a couple clients in Australia. I've got one in New Zealand. I've got them all over the United States and in Canada. And what's really neat about that is these dogs don't need to suffer anymore. And these people don't need to be confused anymore about why the dog that they have at the competition is not the same dog that they have at home or, you know, why their dog can't even train at home. Because like, you know, in the case of Jade, the golden retriever that we're going to talk about, his handler couldn't even work with him in a class environment without having some major problems. So speaking of Jade, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a preview about what we're going to explore in these upcoming episodes as we talk about Jade. Um, When I say golden retriever, I think that most people have a certain picture in their mind. And I'm just going to tell you that Jade is not that picture. (laughs) Um, He is, he's a really beautiful, really powerful dog with some very impressive um, field-based genetics and he is actually kind of I think what the performance ideal is for a golden retriever. He is supremely athletic and very physically capable of doing whatever sport anybody would like to do with him. The problem is that his brain is not a golden retriever brain either. So while he you know, is kind of at the very athletic, very fast end of the spectrum for Goldens. His brain is also at the very easily aroused end of the spectrum for Goldens. And so a lot of his behavior is a lot more intense than I think what most people experience when they're experiencing that breed. Um, He, you know, I always joked with Emily, his handler, that He was more like a Malinois trapped in a golden retriever's body. I've worked with several dogs that were bred for bite sports, and Jade reminds me of those dogs much more than a golden retriever. Um, So that's just another thing that makes him interesting. He is a dog that, you know, like Iggy, really struggled with not only the agility environment, but a lot of different environments in life and in his world. My biggest concern when I first started to talk to Emily about Jade is that he was pretty much never at rest. He wasn't able to relax at home either. So it wasn't just agility trials where Jade struggled. It was everywhere. 
And so that was one of the first things that we needed to really take care of. Um, how that played out is that anytime Emily would try to do agility with Jade, and again, this is a dog with massive amounts of skill and physical ability, and um, Emily was not new to agility either. He was by no means her first performance dog. And yet they were really struggling. And when I first watched them work together, um, I watched Emily, you know, make a handling error that was a normal error that I think a lot of dogs would have not only forgiven, but barely noticed. And Jade would absolutely pummel her and become what I would call physically violent towards her on course. So he would bite her, he would leap up at her, he would actually muzzle punch her face. So muzzle punch is when, um, the, it's just as it sounds, the dog's muzzle um, slams into something very hard. And, you know, Jade's this big, powerful dog and Emily's a tiny person. <laughs> and watching him absolutely bloody her made me think, wow, you know, we got to do something about this. This is not about agility. This is about a lot more than agility. And so helping Emily become a really nice, good, aggressive handler was certainly a part of our process, but it was like 1% of our process. It was a very tiny piece um, because while that was important, that was not the cause of these problems. And so we did a whole lot of cool things with Jade. We changed his diet. We changed his exercise routine. We had him worked up by several veterinarians um, and chose, you know, different medications and supplements. And we really explored his home life and explored different behavior problems that he was experiencing there. And we addressed those things. And we also played around with um, some protocols that I took from the marine mammal training world. We, you know, Emily and I and a lot of my clients joke that um, I teach them how to train a dolphin, even though what they're training is a dog. And then, you know, what that means is if your skills are good enough to train a dolphin, you'll finally be good enough to train this, this special dog that the world has dealt you. Um, and so we did a lot of really interesting things with Jade. What we're going to do in the upcoming episodes is the first episode is just going to talk about Jade's home life. And we're going to talk about what I call the four steps to behavioral wellness and how Emily implemented those four steps with him. And then we're going to go forward and talk about some really specific training applications that I taught Emily. So those include um, a protocol for when he would actually bite her because, you know, a lot of dog trainers would be appalled listening to this right now that, you know, I didn't step in there and quote, you know, do something and make Jade stop biting her. Um, we did implement a protocol for what she was supposed to do when he bit her. And that's a protocol that comes from the marine mammal training world. So we're going to look at that. We're also going to look at reinforcement delivery, different marker signals, and something that I call reinforcement scenarios that we played out for Jade. 
And then finally, we'll get to talk to Emily and talk to her a little bit about her experience. So we're going to talk about Jade for the next three episodes. And I'm going to release those every other week. And so I hope that you guys will follow along. You can find the podcast on my website, www.thecognitivecanine.com. We're going to have a tab up at the top there that you can click and access the podcast that way. And so I hope that you'll join us. If you have any questions about this, um, any kind of reader comments, I really encourage you to email them to me. And the email address for that is cogdogradio at gmail.com. So I hope you'll join us. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks.